This all started in museums and galleries. Now it's in classrooms, in country towns. This should not be here. It's a human being in a box. This is the stuff of empires. There is a great betrayal. We're not slaves, we're African. It's the stuff the British stole. I just don't believe that. It just does not stand up. From ABC Australia and CBC Podcasts, six brand new podcast episodes for free worldwide, available now on CBC Listen or wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. Hi, I'm Damon Fairless. That's Javier Millet with a chainsaw, surrounded by supporters, and they are stoked. The Chainsaw Man, as he's known, is also known as El Loco and the Donald Trump of Argentina. He's a controversial economist and a former media pundit with a collection of cloned dogs. He's a self-described libertarian with radical far-right views, and he's soon to be Argentina's next president. A todos los argentinos de bien, porque hoy comienza la reconstrucción de Argentina. The chainsaw, a symbol of how he plans to carve up Argentina's government and its economy in the middle of its worst economic crisis in decades. Today, we're asking how this political outsider rode to victory on promises of extreme government cuts, privatization of state companies, and the end of Argentina's central bank and its currency. Natalie Alcoba is a freelance journalist based in Buenos Aires, and she's here with me now to talk about it. Hey, Natalie, it's great to have you on the show. It's great to be here. Thank you. I've been reading about Javier Millet for a couple months now in the lead up to this election, and I mean, he's he's a lot. I, I guess I want to start this off by trying to get a better understanding of who he is. So we know he's a self-professed libertarian. He's a political outsider. He's defeated the ruling party candidate to win. But beyond that, can you kind of give me a sense of what he's about? What's he known for? Uh, I mean, he came on he came on the scene a few years ago, essentially as like a political pundit. He's an economist who, you know, was given a lot of space on some of the big primetime television shows uh, and became known for his unvarnished attacks on government policies. You know, really outlandish statements. You know, at that time, he was he was quite critical of policies of the, of the right wing government of Mauricio Macri. And then there's the aspects of him that are just kind of like, you know, stuff that you kind of can't can't make up, right? Like that, you know, he's he's got this history and he's talked on television about having been a tantric sex coach. Y el sexo tántrico seguís por seguís, pues te escuché una vez que hablaba del sí. sexo. ¿Practicás? Sí, claro, fui profesor. He led like a Rolling Stones cover band. He has five beloved dogs that are his family. And that are clones. Five clone dogs, describing them as his best strategists. He was elected. Mm. Uh, you know, he, he he'll have these 
incredible episodes on on television where where he'll take to like smashing a pinata of of the central bank live. Like he's he's just prone to these like larger than life wild uh, you know scenes that you know kind of just keep feeding uh, the media in Argentina and have created all this this incredible fodder that that has been building for years, really. But then during the campaign trail, we've seen it all kind of come back to the fore. He, and he's got these nicknames, right? El Loco and The Wig. and Exactly. Yeah. I mean, and, 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 and there's this look that he has. He has this look about him, right? Like this disheveled hair that, yes, earned him uh, the nickname of the wig, you know, he's often like wearing like a, a leather, a black leather jacket. Um, in fact, actually, he's got these like thick sideburns. And one of um, you know, the person who kind of like dealt with his image at one point in his campaign says that he was made to look like the Wolverine comic character. <laughs> I think I think I got to say the thing that really stands out about his, about him are his dogs. And as you mentioned, they're clones, but they're also named after right-leaning economists, including Friedman. And um, he's also got one named Conan, right? Yeah, exactly. Conan is like the prized possession. And Conan is a clone of the original, his original Conan. Um, they're English Mastiff dogs. They're huge. Uh, and so he he calls Conan his, his, his child. And then the other four dogs, which are also clones of the original, are his are his grandchildren. Yes, named for conservative economists. So there, there are videos of Millet dressed up in a superhero costume, performing as an alter ego he calls General Ancap, which is anarcho-capitalist. And so that's that's him singing about Argentina overspending and then going to the central bank for more money. So I've been hearing a lot about this ideology, uh, ANCAP ideology, libertarianism. Can you describe Millet's ideology? for us? Yeah, I mean, I think essentially he believes that the government should be inter intervening in the lives of its citizens as little as possible. I mean, he even today, I mean, it's stuff that he's been reaffirming on the campaign trail, but today again, you know, it was like, we're going to privatize everything <laughs> that we can. He believes in the rights of the individual and the rights of private property and that the free market uh, should reign and the problems of society will be solved by market forces. Now, in terms of what that also means, practically speaking, I mean, he's and he's already he's given notice and he talked about this in 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 his campaign in his intention is to cut spending, public spending by 15 percent. He wants right. to privatize, you know, state companies, both the large energy company, uh, public radio, uh, public television, scientific bodies. He's talked about changing the way public health care and uh, public education works, although he has since softened that a bit. But th this is the direction that he's that he's going for, and he certainly made he's made um, he's been very clear about that. One of the big things he ran on, right, was in, in addition to privatizing uh, all the stuff you mentioned, but but totally scrapping the central bank, bringing in the U.S. dollar as the national currency, getting rid of the peso, um, and I, I guess beyond the kind of financial 
ideologies he brings. What, what, what are his, uh, his social policies like, his, his, his thoughts on social issues? Yeah. So, I mean, there's no question that the economic policies are the ones that have dominated the campaign trail and that really have attracted most people. Uh, but he's gone into a lot of other social spheres. So in particular, you know, talking about in Argentina a couple of years ago, legalized uh, elective abortion. It was a trailblazer in the region on that on that front. And he he personally is against uh, legal abortion and has talked about how he would want to put that to a referendum in order to reverse that. How that would happen, it's not entirely clear. It was not something that would that was in his campaign, in his platform, but he, people that will be part of his government are already talking about how they want to make that a priority. So that's a real thing. Uh, he's talked about loosening, this in, was in his platform, loosening, uh, loosening gun laws, you know, on climate change. He, he doesn't believe that humans are to blame for climate change on education and healthcare. Again, he, you know, kind of reinforces this idea that these are services that, that have a particular value and someone is paying for them. And education in particular, his, his main idea was to switch public education to a voucher-based system so that people have the freedom to pick where it was that they were going to school. They would get their education. I mean, of course, in Argentina as well, uh, universities are, there are publicly funded universities. So uh, there's, the university is free. Uh, and that's another target of, of his. Hey, it's Jeff Blair. And I'm Kevin Barker. Join us for in-depth coverage on everything surrounding the Toronto Blue Jays and the biggest stories across Major League Baseball with the best guests in the game and, of course, first-class analysis. Ha! That's the smartest thing you've ever said, Jeff. See what I have to put up with? It's Blair and Barker. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. So, so Natalie, that's Millet in a nutshell, but let's, let's take a step back and, and talk about what's been happening in Argentina that kind of set the stage for his, his presidency. What, what do people need to know about the, the state of the economy right now? Yes, uh, it has been a very difficult few years. Boom and bust uh, cycles, kind of defined by that over the last few decades. <laughs> but this is, I'd say this is one of one of the worst ones. And it's it's marked in particular by an alarmingly high rate of inflation. An economic crisis worsening by the day. Argentina becoming unaffordable for essentially its whole population. There's no one reason for all of this. But a major problem is that Argentina's government spends more money than it has. This creates deficits. Annual inflation here is clocking over 140%, which is <laughs> the third worst in the world uh, after Venezuela and after Lebanon. I mean, it's not just the number, but also the speed at which inflation changes. At the start of 2020, around the pandemic, inflation was around 40%. Like I said, now it's at 140%. You know, there are particular moments of political or economic volatility that send it just kind of spiking. And you'll have these weeks where you can really feel that, you know, merchants, you know, don't know what 
what price to put on certain things. You know, they won't sell you it until they know until things stabilize. Mm. You know, it's obviously like an, a, a topic that that dominates all sorts of conversation in, in the media. Alongside that, you know, poverty has been extremely high for for a long time. It's around forty yeah. percent, and also the the value of of its peso has has crumbled. I mean, it's it's a very disorienting it's a very disorienting condition to live under. So along with these economic problems you've been talking about, there's also this growing frustration with the political system there. And, you know, we can't get into everything, obviously, but can you just give me a sense of what, what do we need to understand from a historical context here? Yes, it is. Um, it is. <laughs> it's, it's good that we're not getting into all of it. I mean, ultimately, like Argentina is a deeply politically polarized country that has lived through, you know, devastating periods of military rule where human rights were eviscerated and you know the economy deregulated. Yes. A life sentence for 85-year-old Jorge Rafael Videla. The former dictator oversaw the bloodiest years of Argentina's infamous dirty war against suspected left-wing activists. A just war against subversion, he says, in which as many as 30,000 Argentines were detained, tortured and disappeared. Uh, these last 40 years of democracy have been marked by strong swings, both political swings and economic swings. I mean, there's this this movement in Argentina called Peronismo that's named for a former president, General Juan Domingo Perón. Peronism was born in the mid-1940s with the rise to prominence of the then employment secretary Juan Domingo Perón. He went on to become president three times, backed by his charismatic second wife, Evita. They've both been dead for a long time, but the movement that bears their name lives on. He built this movement largely around ideas around, around the working class, but it's, it's also a shape-shifting political force. You know, sometimes it's right, sometimes it's left wing. I mean, its fingerprints are, are all over, you know, Argentina in the last few decades. The country has also, you know, lived through hyperinflation in the 1980s. In the 1990s, it was this neoliberal decade of, again, privatization. You know, a lot of Echoes to what we're seeing right now, uh, the government trying to deal with that astronomical inflation by pegging the local currency to the dollar, which, again, is something similar to what Millet is talking about. But that project ended in ruin. The banking system collapsed. People lost their life savings. The government defaulted on international debt. All trust in the financial system um, like obliterated, which of course feeds into the government's ability to also collect taxes because people don't trust the system uh, or their leaders. You know, th there have been, there have been, you know, since since that last crash of 2001, there there have been moments of of recovery, and some of that was helped by by you know, a global commodities boom, and it also brought more protectionist policies and and the government, a more left wing government you know, expanded the welfare state that helped a lot of poor people, raised their quality of life. But those conditions really didn't last. Right. And it's been this this deterioration over the last 10, 12 years. You know, a right wing government in the middle of that took out massive amounts of debt that put another like stranglehold on what it was that the government could do. And so inflation was climbing, inflation was climbing, and then the pandemic hits, which, of course, you know, worsened everything but all of this is just mostly to highlight that it's it's been this exhausting roller coaster ride for mm -hmm. 
for Argentines and who, you know, are constantly kind of feeling like they're in this perpetual, I mean, short, short-lived moments of, of calm and then, and then crisis again. And so all of that kind of sets the stage for what's happened now. Right. So, and it sounds like that's led to this appetite for something different, and which is precisely what Malay has. You know, that's how he's positioned himself, right, as this outsider, as this anti-establishment guy. But I'm, I'm curious, you know, who he, who's his base, who does he appeal to the most there? Yeah, I mean, I think one of the um, most important things about Malay is that he appeals to a, cro- a cross section of people. I mean, it, we t- we talk a lot, and a lot of attention has been paid to you know, the youth that have turned to him. And and that's absolutely true. A lot of young people who became kind of, you know, having discovered, you know, these, these TikTok videos, these clips of this guy who was like railing against like a system that they also thought isn't working. Then they in turn have become kind of like evangelists for these ideas and have gone about and, and convinced their family, their, their friends, to vote for him as well, but 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 he appeals, but he appeals beyond just young people. He appeals to people in the the conservative establishment, to right wingers. He appeals to people who have more money, those who come from, who are in poorer parts of the country, who again haven't seen, you know, their their lives, their their lot in life really really changed. Individuals who traditionally voted for the left, for the left, and you know, you'll often come across people tell you that it's not really about his ideas. It's that he's a different face, a different voice, and he's really tapped into the to this this notion that you know Argentines keep electing the same cast of characters, and that's why we're in in this mess. I support Javier Millet because I need a change. I want a change for my country that I deeply love, and we've been suffering many years of decadence. I think this time Argentina needed a change, and that's why I bet on this new proposal. We are doing really bad as a country, and I hope Millet does not disappoint us. Of course, you know, that that message that doesn't stand up under scrutiny because he's now since aligned himself with members of that same establishment. But he was successful in delivering that message that like the political cast, as he often talks about them, is to blame for all of our problems. Okay, so I'm curious because because you're in in Buenos Aires, uh, once the news broke that he beat his opponent by nearly 3 million votes, I guess. Um, what, what was the reaction on the, on the streets? Like, what would you see on election day? Yeah, I was actually in his headquarters in a hotel in, in downtown Buenos Aires. Um, and crowds of people like gathered outside of the hotel, you know, as soon as the polls closed, even though it would be several more hours before the results came in. I mean, people, you know, you'll find people coming in from like, you know, in some cases from other provinces, a few hours away, wanting to try to get a glimpse of him. So you had mm. that scene outside and then inside, you know, his his soldiers, like, you know, a lot of young, young libertarians and, you know, one of his top officials came out and talked about how you know one of one of the themes in the in the prelude to the election was Millet really raising the concern about the possibility that there would be election fraud, which is another uh, similarity to, of course, Donald Trump. And this this official came out and said there had been no issue, no issue for the results. And so I think that also kind of uh, reinforced this this idea that the results must must be looking good. 
For Argentina, this was a political earthquake. Javier Millet won by a wider than expected margin, and his victory sent a clear message. Argentinians wanted change. And once they became official, it was just utter, utter jubilation inside, outside. You know, Argentina also has like this really this strong tradition of like of demonstration of like bongos in the street. And so there was like a flavor of that outside of the hotel, you know, lots of people with flags, you know, chanting, uh, you know, calling out his his slogans, uh, just euphoria, really. Malay's politics are obviously pretty polarizing, and he's made a lot of folks in Argentina angry. So can you give me a sense of who his biggest detractors are? Right. I mean, although he, he earned 55% of the vote, you know, 45% did not vote for him. And so that side is truly devastated. Uh, you know, a great deal of concern in terms of uh, the impact that this will have on um, poor sectors of society, on, on civil liberties, on human rights. Uh, you know, some of his, his loudest detractors are human rights groups, uh, feminist organizations, you know, big blocks on the left. There were intellectuals and scientists and economists who also came out during the campaign, you know, raising concerns about the feasibility of some of his policies, you know, what the potential consequences uh, would be. I mean, we're now kind of waiting to see who he puts in particular in particular positions and what that might sig signal about about their approach uh, in with certain sectors but there's a lot of fear as well on the street about the implications of his of his victory on board i personally didn't vote for him because i felt like it was a leap into the void god willing he surprises us one of the things he said leading up to the election is that he he would be willing to arrest people who protested against him or opposed him vocally. Are people worried about that now? Absolutely. Yeah. And I think, you know, given the the economic conditions, uh, you know, he talked yesterday, today about how the next six months are going to be incredibly hard. I mean, he's he's full steam ahead with cutting 15% from the budget. So what the response to that will be, I mean, Argent as I said before, Argentina does have have a culture of 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 going out to demonstrate to march, you know, the street is is a way of of being seen and and is is a political tool for a lot of a lot of sectors and is a right. Um, but how he responds to that, um, yeah, a lot of people are are worried about that. He's also uh, upset the sizable Catholic population there too, right? Yes, he's attacked uh, Pope Francis, who is the most famous Argentine at the moment, calling him like the evil a representative of evil evil on earth, uh, you know, a filthy leftist. But the Pope, you believe the Pope has an affinity for Raul Castro? Sí, exacto. Sí, tiene afinidad por los comunistas asesinos. But now, but now he's the president, right? So he, he received a call from, from the Pope uh, yesterday and there needs to be some kind of, you know, diplomatic dealings between, between these heads of state. So we'll see how that actually plays out. He, he's also notably downplayed the crimes of the military dictatorship that that was responsible for killing thousands of Argentines in the 70s and 80s right and that's right that's right and that's that's a uh, a particular aspect that has human rights groups uh, very concerned in particular for the way in which you know it it can give license 
uh, to hateful discourse. I mean, he's he has minimized um, the atrocities of the military dictatorship, the last dictatorship between 1976 and 83. He questions uh, the estimated number of people who disappeared, disappeared and were murdered by the dictatorship and says it was it was far fewer. Uh, Argentina has, has worked hard and, and is renowned around the world in terms of how it has tried to deal with, with that past and, and bring perpetrators of that violence to justice. And so there is concern around how that if that work will continue, how that will change. Uh, let's talk about what this means for Argentina going going forward. Back to his promises to slash the government and dollarize the economy, eliminate the central bank. So those are big big campaign promises, but he he still has to work in the legislature, which is really dominated by the center left and center right. So is there a sense that his, these big economic election promises are, are actually doable? Does he have the power to do that? This is the, this is the big question right now. I mean, there's no, I think there's no question that, you know, the, the mandate that he was given and the office that he occupies now gives him a great deal of power, but, but yes, you're right. His party uh, occupies a small fraction of the seats in the upper and lower house. His party, La Libertad Avanza, Freedom Advances, which got about 10% of the seats in the upper house, 15% in the lower house. That means he has to form coalitions in order to get a lot of his proposals through. I mean, Congress ultimately would be approving would be approving budgets. He's already, I mean, he's already aligned himself with certain conservative sectors. He received the backing of former right-wing president Mauricio Macri and the candidate that he had put forward. Um, And it's in fact due to that alliance. It's that alliance that allowed him, of course, to win ultimately. Um, So he has, you know, certain certain sectors of of the conservative coalition, but but not all of them. Right. So he he doesn't have a majority right now, even with the conservatives. So he will have to appeal or have the support of more moderate parts of of conservative um, to say nothing of whether or not he'd be able to appeal to parts of of Peronismo, which is largely um, center left. So we don't know. We don't we don't know. But there are things that he he can do. Plans of privatization can be accomplished, you know, without going through Congress. So it's an open question. So leaders on the far right around the world took notice of this. Uh, he got a lot of congratulations. People like Donald Trump in the U.S. and Yair Bolsonaro in Brazil have celebrated him, embraced him, congratulated him. Is there a sense, Natalie, of where this political shift is taking Argent- Argentina? I mean, the rea- the reality is that this this can be a dramatic U-turn for Argentina. He is intending to change you know, a lot of the ways in which the institutions, the government have functioned. Um, you know, Argentina is 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 known for a lot of its of its progressive policies. You know, these these kinds of shifts kind of strike at at the heart of of how Argentines see themselves. But there's also no denying that that a lot of Argentines uh, think that it just hasn't worked, that it isn't working, and that they and that perhaps what the government needs is is a radical shakeup. It's just you know at what cost. All right, Natalie, thanks so much. I really appreciate it. Thank you. All right, that's all for today. 
I'm Damon Fairless. Thanks for listening to Front Burner, and I'll talk to you tomorrow. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.